Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcasts. In this episode, I'm going to have a chat with young Ella. So Ella, can you tell me when and where you were born, and if you can describe to me what it was like where you grew up, the schools you went to, and the education that you received. So it's all yours, Ella. Hi, Tim. So first off, thank you so much for having me here today. So I am a first-gen American in my family. I'm the first one to be born in the States, specifically California. I am 20 years old, born in May of 2002, and my If we're going all the way back, I first started off at Challenger School, which was a small little elementary middle school that I attended. And then I attended high school at Notre Dame San Jose High School, located in downtown San Jose. And currently... Notre Dame? uh, Yes. Notre Dame? I don't know. I think Notre Dame. (laughs) Notre Dame's French. Yeah. (laughs) Did it have a French influence? Um, it was based off of St. Julie. She came to the States back in, I, sh- I feel like I should know my, the history of my high school, but I really do not. And I feel embarrassed no. to say that. <laughs> well, I think we've actually jumped ahead an awful lot. So let's, let's, let's take you back. So you said your first generation to be born in the States, the first one in your family. So where did your family come from? My family came from Bosnia. So my mom's side of the family is from Banja Luka and my dad's side is from Teslic. Oh, yes. Teslic. I don't know that one. I know Banja Luka. Yeah. <laughs> I actually spent a couple of weeks in Banja Luka back in um, 2000. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, though. I love it so much. I visit uh, Banja Luka almost every time when I go back. Home, so it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's changed a little bit since I was there. I mean, that means you have to visit again to find out. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Early on a card, so we could do that. Um, yeah, exactly. Somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I have a lot of family and friends there that um, I try to visit every year, and it's also good practice for me to practice the language and get in touch with my culture too. Mm. So language, how, so I guess you came over with your parents. Um, So my parents ended up coming to the States in 1998. And then I was born four years later. So I ended up learning Bosnian and English at the same time. And it wasn't until I got into school that my English really excelled. (laughs) But back at home, we would speak uh, only Bosnian because my grandma from my mom's side of the family, she didn't know any English. So uh, Mm. she stayed with us because she would help take care of me and then eventually my siblings. And that's how I was practicing the language. So at at school, it's only English. Back home, it would just be Bosnian. Mm. Was that confusing to you at the time or or was it just something you grew up with? It was just something I grew up with. It was sort of the norm. I didn't really realize how confusing it was for other people because sometimes, especially when I was younger, I would subconsciously switch over to Bosnian, especially when I didn't know a word in English. And that would 
like my, get my professors really confused. So I would have <laughs> to like learn to differentiate. Okay. When I'm here on the English back home, I can switch between the two, but it was mainly Bosnian. Mm. And and did you learn to, to read and write in, in Bosnian or I guess you're using Cyrillic alphabet there and you're using the, the, the English alphabet when you're at yeah. school. Yeah, so um, it's actually a funny story. I learned how to read and write based off of watching Turkish series while I would be visiting Bosnia, and then I would read the subtitles and try to understand what was happening. So I would watch it with my um, grandma's sisters because they love to watch their own series, and I would just tag along and try to understand what was going on. So that's actually how I learned myself. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Yes. So what was the first school you went to that you can remember? A challenger school. That's where I went for preschool, elementary, and middle school. Oh, so that was that, that was that was all under one roof, was it? Yes, it was. Mm. Well, so kind of you, multiple roofs, but same area. <laughs> yeah, same so, same school, different areas. I guess they had to keep the the the, the kindergarten kids away from the the sort of secondary school. <laughs> yeah, pretty school. much. Yeah. Also, just get the the middle school kids picking on the on the little kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, what can you remember about the the kindergarten type uh, era? Is that honestly not much? Because all we did was just learn and then go play outside and then come in for snacks. It's like your standard middle school, uh, elementary school experience, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your favorite lesson? Ooh, that's a good one. My favorite part was going home, honestly. <laughs> 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 um, I actually would say, uh, in all seriousness, maybe I would say literature was my favorite because I love to read as a kid, especially writing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, poetry was one of my biggest passions as a child and short stories. So I was such a bookworm. My mom uh, had this one part of the house just designated for all the books that I would read. <laughs> so you can imagine how big my collection was. <laughs> <laughs> so were these all English books or were they Bosnian as well? At the time, it was all English books because I was still pretty young. Now it has expanded to both and also a little bit of some French here and there because I'm still trying, I, I learned French in high school. I know I'm jumping a little bit ahead in the timeline, mm-hmm. but I think reading is just really important to help you learn the language because that's where you really get the grammar, different structures, the dialect and whatnot. So middle school. So what was your worst subject in middle school? What one did you not like doing? Which one did you hop the wag the most? <laughs> so in middle school, we were required to take coding classes. That was by far my <laughs> least favorite subject, just because I just I just couldn't get it. That's not how my brain functioned. So I just I was just would waste the time away, kind of mess around with the coding, make my own little side games while I'm like not doing the project, and then I have no idea how I passed that class. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you didn't write letters from your mum saying that uh, you couldn't attend that class. <laughs> oh no, I vocalized to my mom. I told her I do not enjoy coding. I and she just told me you have to bite the bullet and finish. It's part of the requirement. You can't really do much about it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. 
<laughs> so did you do any um any did you play any instruments did you do any music in middle school not did instruments. you do any theater I played sports. Um, that's when I started. I've been skiing pretty much most of my life. I started skiing when I was three years old. but And with golf, I started playing when I was 10 years old. So oh, those right. are the two big sports. Yeah. What sort of skiing do you do? Where did you go for skiing? We would go up near the Tahoe area just because it was pretty close to where we lived. And it was a nice resort. I used to do giant slalom ski racing. I first started off with just regular skiing and then eventually I developed my passions for that in high school. And now I'm a retired racer. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't really been racing recently, but every winter we would go up there and just ski a little bit. It would be a lot of fun. Hmm. I was a ski racer. Really? What kind? I I gave up ski racing, um, I must have been 56 or 57 when I gave up ski racing, but I'm a telemark skier. That's really cool. I definitely want to go back into it, but it's just been so hard because now I moved down to SoCal and there's not, there's no snow here. <laughs> so it would have to and commute. No rain either. Yeah. I would have to commute a long ways just to get some skiing in, but I try a little bit over winter break when I have like a month off from school. Mm. Yeah. So, have you tried Telemark? I have not, no. Have you seen it? Yes, I have seen it. I've also tried doing the other type of slalom, where it's uh, the gates are super close to each other. Oh, but, right, yeah. Yeah, but that one has been really hard on my knees, so that's why I resorted to giant slalom. Mm. Try Telemark the next time you go. It's just a different turning technique. And uh, telemark racing is so much more fun to watch than... Really? Oh, absolutely, yeah. You've got the gates to go through like on the giant slalom, Mm -hmm. but you've also got a a jump to go over. Then you've Mm -hmm. got a 360-degree wrap to go round. Yeah. You come in at speed and you, you try and hang in there as tight as you can and pop it out. And then you've got the skate section to finish. And they norm- nice. normally have an uphill bit to finish, just to, yeah. to finish you off. Yeah, I'll it's definitely a- check that out because um, it depends on, on each resort. Usually Solemn's mm. just the easiest to set up because you don't need that much space <laughs> to race. You just need one slope and you're fine. But I definitely, that sounds like so much fun. I yeah, definitely want to look into that. the same with Telemark. It's just yeah. a little, diff- just a different turn- turning technique. I mean, you can uh, you kind of alpine ski them, but it, mm-hmm. once once you get the the technique of of, of sinking down and and mm-hmm. initiating a telemark turn, it just and you get like me, I'm like a swan coming down, and yeah, hope- all the alpine skiers stood at the side there in awe. <laughs> How did you get into that type of skiing? The army made me do it. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, didn't have an awful lot of choice, really. Oh, really? Yeah, an awful, awful long time ago, they took me to Norway, put me on a pair of planks and uh, stuck a big pack on my back or or a pork behind and, and had to traipse across the Ulu. Um, and I've been free hill skiing ever since. And the great thing about free hill skiing is that the boots are so much more comfortable than alpine boots. I oh, tried yeah. alpine skiing. Nah. You, you did sort of clump around in them and, and look stupid. 
Tell him, Alpo, at least you can walk half <laughs> sensible in them. Yeah, true. Because they flex at the toe. That's so true, yeah. Yeah. So, but the, they, they changed the binding so, a few years ago. Now they, they've gone for the NTN binding, which is a normal telemark uh, norm. Yeah. Normal telemark norm is what they call the binding. So you step into it and flick the thing forward and it just grabs the bottom of the sole of the boot. And it's, yeah, a lot more stable, a lot more, um, it gives you a lot more control than it does with a, a cable binding that you used to ski with. So, yeah, it's worth a go. Golf. So you've got a set of bats. Yes, I do. Back you, like, home. <laughs> you like to spoil a good walk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's golf really taught me a lot of things, especially because when I would play for my school teams, we could not have golf carts. So we would have to trudge with our um, your bag on our your bags back. on. Yeah. And the thing is, when I first picked it up, I was just tiny little skinny kid so it's just really funny to see this kid carrying a bunch of clubs on her back walking through the like golf course <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that was quite amusing <laughs> yeah it was but I ended up loving it it's just because of COVID now I haven't had the opportunity to play as much which mm. has really bummed me out because I actually really liked it and I definitely need to go back into it as soon as possible <laughs> Well, I mean, that that bit, uh, I mean, the COVID thing and outside exercise, you know, why do they lock you down inside and, and where, where you could be outside on a golf course, miles from anybody, whacking a ball about, getting some fresh air? Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, it it's it, a non-contact sport, so I don't really understand why my well, I don't know. I don't know. Down. I don't know about a non-contact bit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Non-contact. That poor, that poor like ball. <laughs> the poor ball doesn't think it's a non-contact ball. <laughs> and the bat. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I used to play golf. Um, long time ago, I mean, I, I, I probably struggle now just to, uh, getting the movement to, to whack the ball. But, um, I used to play off a six. Okay. So I was I wasn't a slouch, but um, mm-hmm. I used to used to go out and play oh, three or four times a week, and uh, used to play in competitions and bits and pieces like that. So yeah, I, I, I had a I had a fair run at it for quite a lot of years, and then um, as I say, recently I've had to give up a lot of things because I've got bit of rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis going on. So it slows it down a bit, but you know I mean, I'm still breathing. I'm still doing stuff. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sorry about the arthritis though. <laughs> uh, happens to us all sooner or later, but um, yeah, I'm fighting it. I'm, I'm, I, I ain't going to give up until my last breath. As you should. You go. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Live every day is though it's your last one day it will be. So, you started off playing golf, and yes. still, still, hopefully getting out and getting around in. What's mm-hmm. uh, what's been your best round? Are you asking score wise, or the one that's most memorable to me? <laughs> well, 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 let's go both. What's your best score, and what's the best memorable game that you've had? Oh God. 
Okay, yes. so most memorable round, because that's the first one that comes out in my mind, is actually when I played in Sarajevo. I took my clubs with me from California to Bosnia, and there's this one golf course, and it's located on a hill so you can look down into the city, and it was just so beautiful. And that's the most fun I've had because I went with some friends, and we were just playing. There was not that many people on the golf course itself, so it was just beautiful. Like We were in nature. What more could you ask for? Mm. But in terms of score, I don't... And that's, that's looking down in the Sarajevo. Yes. <laughs> Have they still got a ski jump there? I don't know if they do. I'm pretty sure they will in the mountains because I know the Olympics took place in 84. Yeah. But I don't know if they still have that ski jump. Because <laughs> you can normally see it. it, was, it, it was this up? It was fairly close to, to sort of, I think, the centre of the town where the ski jump was. I will have to keep my eye out for that one. Then. Yeah, have a look next time you go there. That's all. Yeah, go. for sure. Mm. But for score, I don't really remember because last time I played competitively was in high school, and that was before the lockdown. So that was already like three years ago. <laughs> I should have kept. I should have kept track in like a little journal or something. But I didn't know better back then. <laughs> I would just go and play and have fun. <laughs> Excellent. So we've got a, um, a, a dedicated set of bats. Are they all made to measure for you, for your height and and uh, proper yes. set? Yes, they're all fitted. And funny story, my dad actually ended up breaking my driver at one point because he wanted to try it. And it's such a light club that he, I don't know what he did, but it, the head ended up snapping off from the club. So I had to get it. <laughs> Re- remade for me so that was a whole process too did you make him pay for it I mean he usually pays for my clubs anyways <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't really change the story there but <laughs> yeah so yeah so I suppose if he paid for it and then he, he paid for me in the first place he, it was alright for him to break one and that, that yeah and it was it. also off season too so I wasn't stressing out needing it for oh. a tournament or something yeah <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a full set or do you just have a half set I had a half set because yeah. in high school you weren't really need that much yeah and carrying it too it's a whole different story <laughs> as well <laughs> so how often do you get to practice when I was with my team I would be practicing almost every day, but now it's been a bit complicated because I'm traveling quite a bit, especially for school and whatnot. So I think the last time I practiced was actually at the start of COVID. So it's been a year since I haven't touched my clothes. Yeah. Mm. It's so easy to get caught up in life every day. And I'm like, yeah, I'm starting to realize that. So I'm trying to put a more conscious effort into doing what I love. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's have a, let's, let's, let's move on a little bit. So um, what about your junior high school? Uh, as in junior high. Or was, it, or was it just, was it just high school that you went to? It's just high school. school. Okay. Yeah. So high school then, whereabouts was it? Did, did you change the, the, the school that you went to? Or was it the so, same, under the same same campus so 
after middle school, I attended Notre Dame San Jose High School. That's a completely different campus because now we're located in downtown San Jose. It was an all-girls Catholic high school. And my, my parents get a little bit of a chuckle from it because uh, if you, for those that don't know, I am half Muslim and half Orthodox. So it was a completely <laughs> different perspective, but they appreciated that. They actually wanted me to attend that school because they wanted me to learn about different religions and meet people from different backgrounds. But it's just a, l- a little bit ironic. <laughs> it's quite funny, actually. So, yeah. so, so, so did you have to go to confession and all that? No, the most we would have to do is attend mass for the holidays, but I didn't really mind because we would just have to sit there and listen to the prayers and whatnot. And that's pretty much it. So it wasn't anything too straining. (laughs) (laughs) So did you have to go through the whole ritual of spectacles, testicles, wallet and watch? (laughs) Um, For me, I did not because they're very nonchalant about it. If you weren't Mm. practicing, you didn't have, they didn't force you to do anything, which is what I really liked. You would just have to attend. And if you didn't want to go up to, get the bread and body of Christ, you know, um, what is that yeah. called? Uh, I forgot. Com- the, uh, communion. Yeah. For communion, you could just sit there and let other people pass through. So, so it was, yeah. So, so he wasn't hungry and he didn't fancy a drop of wine then. <laughs> I did. I did not take um, <laughs> the first communion, but. Because <laughs> I guess, I, I guess being under 21, they're not allowed to give you wine, are they? So they have to substitute it with something. What do I substitute it with? Um, I I think it was grape juice or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing I can think of because I didn't go up, yeah. so I didn't really know what they were giving. But and you I never remember, bothered asking. <laughs> yeah, I never bothered asking either. I just remember sometimes if there were leftovers of the little, um, like, like the flat pieces of bread, yeah. the religious teacher the religion teacher she would give it to students just like the whole bag of whatever was left over so people would have it as a snack uh <laughs> <laughs> so was it were there nuns at the school there was one sister yes sister carol i'm not sure if she's still around over there but yeah, Did yeah. She, was she stern was she a good teacher or <laughs> She was nice. I didn't really interact with her as much because she was more in the common areas and I would not really have a need to be in the common area. I would just go to my (laughs) classes and then go to my locker. And that's pretty much it. I had a very straightforward path, like where I was Mm -hmm. supposed to go. But yeah, she was, she was very hospitable and approachable and very welcoming person. So she only had good energy out there for everyone. Brilliant. So what, um, What was your best subject during high school then? What did you enjoy doing the most there? History and philosophy. Those were hands down my favourite classes. (laughs) Let's have a look at history then. What what, What period of history were you looking at? We which which, um, grabbed you the the most? Which period of history were you into? That one's hard to answer because I really liked all of it. I took world history AP, AP US history, uh, global connections, which is also more like American focused. But 
I do think <laughs> I, I've always had a, a love for how like American history, but also European history as well. I don't have like a particular favorite time zone or time era because I just found everything extremely interesting, like how we got from one point to another, especially with like the Ottoman Empire coming in, Austrian-Hungarian Empire, uh, rise and fall of all of those. So I definitely think if I had to give a certain time frame, I would say the 1900s were of mm. particular interest for me. Yes. Yeah. I mean, nineteen hundreds. We had quite a bit, of, quite a yeah. bit going on. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, particularly. I mean, let's let's just take um, nineteen fourteen for instance, mm-hmm. and Sarajevo. Look yeah. what happened there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Had the world wars going on. That's where it started. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that period in history is, is, I guess, for for, for Bosnia, is is a key area for you. Um, in Sarajevo, it's where the First World War started off. When mm-hmm. um, who was it? Um, what's his name? Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Ferdinand, that's him. He, he upset a few people, didn't he? But there you go. So. Um, so history, what about philosophy? Yes, yeah, so to give a little bit more context to that, there was this one time where I took world religions and philosophy, which is taught by the same professor. So they were alternating times. So I would see the same professor every day. So I think that's kind of more of like, I really like this professor that I have. Um, rather, But also the class itself was also really interesting. Mm. And... I really liked philosophy because it made me question my worldview and think of things outside of the perspective that I already had. Plus, I really liked the literature that we were reading with it. And there was a lot of lot of questions that we really had to think about what we would do in those situations and how much more complicated life is than what we make it of. So that was my favorite thing. And for world religions, I really mm-hmm. liked it because we had to we would have guest speakers come in from the different religions that we were learning about, which I found fascinating because I've never heard of other schools doing something similar like that. And the, the best moment I've had was when they had uh, someone come in representing Eastern Orthodox religion. And he comes in, he's introducing himself as Nebo. And so I'm thinking a little bit, and I'm like, Nebo sounds really similar to Neboisha, which is the name of my grandpa. So I'm thinking maybe he has a little bit of a Balkan descent to him, but I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to embarrass myself. So I'm waiting. And then he's starting to, he wants to introduce himself to everyone. So he's coming around, shaking hands with everyone. And he comes up to me and I see his name tag and it says Neboisha. He just shortened it to Nebo to help other people pronounce his name because it's very, uh. I think it's difficult if you don't know the origin of the name. <laughs> So he's shaking his hand. He's saying, nice to meet you. And so I start talking to him in Bosnian. I respond back in Bosnian to him. And he just gets so shocked. He's like, look at this little one, how she's like talking to me in Bosnian. He said that back in (laughs) Bosnian to me. And my professor, she turns, she quickly turns around and she goes, what is happening over here? And we're having a full on conversation (laughs) in Bosnian in the middle of the classroom. And I think that was like the coolest experience I've ever had (laughs) with anyone. (laughs) 
<laughs> but it was just like the moment of confusion because everyone around me is just like, okay, what was this language switch? Because it was almost instantaneous. I saw the name tag. I decided to try it. And we just ended up connecting like that. <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> yeah, it worked. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, that sort of thing doesn't happen very often um, where you can you you can have that interaction with somebody that you've met for the first time that's come in to do something special. Yeah, and just a small Bosnian population where I went to high school, I think in the school there was only one other Croatian, and that was it. And this is a school of 600 people, so there really wasn't that many people from the Balkan mm. community in that area. So the fact that one of the guest speakers, it was someone also from, from the Balkan region, that was just so shocking to me. And so... I think that's why it's also really important to know about your own identity and language so that you can connect with people from different backgrounds like that. Absolutely. I think you shot more more people in a class. Than- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We ended up taking a picture together too because it was a very iconic moment. The professor yeah. wanted a picture of us together to remember it. <laughs> was it was it just the one lesson that you had uh, for that or was it um, they come yeah. a few times? It was just one lesson because we were covering many different religions. So if there was uh, one guest speaker that we could get, it was a week long thing. So we had only five guest speakers and Mm. he was more towards the end. And I remember, yeah, there weren't that many guest speakers, but just the effort of trying to have people come in to talk about their religion. I thought it was really cool. Mm. So what was the other religions that came in then? We had people like we had we focused on Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, the big five, yeah. uh, Islam, and of course the different branches of Catholicism. Yeah. Did did you I bet you didn't do the Church of England, did you? <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I I don't think so. <laughs> Brilliant. So what was your worst subject in, in high school? What one did you did you try and get a note from your mum that you didn't want to go into? <laughs> I think mm, I think it was math for me. I was always more of a humanities type of student, which is kind of ironic to say because I am a STEM major. I'm a biology mm. major right now. But <laughs> <laughs> I guess you end up doing I don't know. But I think math was the hardest because that was the class that I had to put most of my effort in. And it was a class that I really wasn't passionate about. So the fact that I had to dedicate a lot of time to something I wasn't passionate about really irked me <laughs> because I was thinking I could be focusing on history or art or philosophy, but no, I have to do calculus. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up doing well in the class, hmm. uh, which I guess is the only beneficial thing that came out of putting so much time in it. <laughs> <laughs> So, you obviously graduated from high school then. Yes, class of 2020. So, being an all-girls school and sort of French with the Notre Dame thing, did you have a prom? I lucked out and I had a prom before COVID. It was my junior year of high school and I got invited by some of my senior friends to attend prom. So I had a prom, but I felt really bad because a lot of people in my class didn't have that opportunity. So it was more of like COVID. We did not have prom, but in, if mm. everything was normal, 
quote unquote, then we would have had a prom for the senior classes. Now, here's a question. So you're an all-girls school. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with a a prom for an all-girls school? We are partnered with an all-boys school because we're part of this Ah. diocese. So Bellarmine is our brother school. And so there would be a lot of events that would collaborate with them. Gotcha. Yes. I wonder how it worked. Yeah. <laughs> so was there an awful lot of fraternisation between the, the two schools? I mean, after hours, maybe, that sort of thing? Or was that totally sort of... I mean, probably. I personally did not <laughs> because I was so caught up with, like, sports and writing and whatnot and traveling so i did not spend a lot of time uh socializing <laughs> in the area. Really? yeah fair one so <laughs> graduated yes oh let's go back what sports were you doing at school i was part of the golf team in my high school i spent yeah. four years doing varsity and ended up as team captain my senior year Uh, And I would be part of the ski team. There was no ski team at the high school. So I did my own personal thing up again near Tahoe for ski racing. But I stopped once I turned 18. So I do not ski race anymore, but I do want to go back into it because I miss the adrenaline rush that it gives me. (laughs) And it's just so much fun. (laughs) Yeah. You're in that starting gate, and the, and the, and the buzzer goes, and you've got to go. I mean, there's there's no sort of holding back. Beep, yeah. Go. <laughs> yeah, and I've had a fair, you, my fair pop share. Pop out of the like, gate and and probably fall over. <laughs> 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 That's happened. Yeah. Yeah, I had to stop. It wasn't funny. It wasn't clever. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I keep interrupting because there's a delay. I don't mean to uh, interject like that. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. But I was going to say that I had to stop because I had my fair share of falls. And my mom started getting worried for me when uh, we would argue about where I fell, but I would have no recollection of what happened. There was this one particular moment where it was actually, um, I was doing so well, but it wasn't until the turn I hit a rut. Those are like the Mm. worst parts. And it threw me actually off the course. I slid under the rope and I fell on my back, but I'm still on my ski. So I'm in like a weird folded scorpion position and I think I blacked out for a little bit but then I got up and finished it and so my mom recorded it and you can see just how bad it was because I was coming in like a bullet this was going to be my fastest time but once I fell it delayed me by a little bit so Mm -hmm. she got really scared for me and told me that I should probably take it a little bit easy (laughs) (laughs) There's, there's no taking it easy in the race. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My, it's all out. Uh, yeah, my coach's philosophy was: if your shins aren't bleeding by the end of the day, you haven't worked hard enough. <laughs> yeah. So if you don't fall over, you ain't working hard enough either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you fall over, enough. yeah. If you fall over, that means you're doing something new, which means you're pushing yourself beyond your limits. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So let's move on a little bit. Let's have a look at um, what you did after high school. Right. Well, after high school, I applied for college. And right now I'm attending Occidental College. Um, I am on a three-year track, so I'll be graduating next year. 
So I'm class of 2023 if everything goes well. <laughs> and I am a biology major. What made you choose biology? I got interested in pursuing medicine and I had enough credits from my AP classes that I took in high school. So I ended up testing out of math. Thank God I would not have to take calculus anymore. <laughs> and I figured because I had all this credit, if I pursued a biology track, it'll help me finish a year earlier. But technically for medicine, you could be any major you wanted to. It just happened that biology major worked out for me. And I think, yeah, I think biology is pretty cool too. So mm. just have one more year left to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> so biology, what are the key subjects in the biology course? It depends on what kind of biology course you're taking because well, right now I haven't taken that many because I've been trying to get my pre-med requisites out of the way. So I finished chemistry. I finished physics. I finished the humanities section. I finished, um, I'm about to finish my ling language requirement. So it's only until next year I'm going to be having all bio courses, but I am, <laughs> it's ranging from topics such as environmental sciences to the standard biology science topics that you think of where it's what is happening in the cells, the RNA. Um, I finished the introductory bio courses, so I have my molecular biology down. That's what I focused mm -hmm. on. But I don't want to bore you too much with all the details of what is in the <laughs> biology classes. <laughs> so if that's your major, what are you, are you, have you got any minors that you're doing? No, I'm not doing any minors because I want to graduate as soon as possible. But if I were to have done a minor, I would have definitely picked philosophy minor. Mm. So what do you aim to to achieve at the end then? What what's what's your goal? My goal after undergrad is to go into medical school but as of late I am a part of a research program and I am working on my own personal project at the moment which I'm really excited about and hopefully it will go well when I transition into working on it at Occidental College again. Mm. So you're staying at the same college? This research program that I'm yeah this research program that I'm currently at it's at a different college but it's only for the summer and then I have one more year left at Occidental College. And then I'll take a gap year to build up my resume because it's been a little bit difficult to get internships at hospitals and whatnot because of the pandemic. They're very strict as to who could come in and out. So I'll spend a year and preparing to apply for med schools, build up my resume. And then after that, it's just wherever life decides to take me because I have no <laughs> say in which medical school will accept me. <laughs> but you've got to get the grades first. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I'm just doing the best of my abilities and doing my part, you know? <laughs> mm. Yeah. So you want to become a doctor? Yes. The end goal is to do uh, face transplant surgeries. Oh. Yes. Interesting. It's, a, it's a very niche type of medicine. It's also pretty new. There haven't been more than 50 surgeries worldwide. And I had the opportunity to actually interview one lady she was the second woman worldwide to have received, or second person, sorry, worldwide, to have received two face transplant surgeries. So I just, she actually sparked my interest back in 2019 when I attended 
a medical conference in Boston and she was a guest speaker there. And that's what triggered my love for medicine because I was a little bit on the fence as to whether or not I actually wanted to, um, wanted to, what's it called? Uh, go into medicine. Go into it. Yeah. Go into medicine. But after I heard her speak, that was just like the defining moment for me. And so I, for my independent research, had the, the, again the opportunity to interview her back in 2021 so it's a little bit of a full circle moment where she's mm. now helping me with my research in a way so i just think it's so fascinating how life works out like that <laughs> mm. it's fate things uh <laughs> happen that should happen i think on that yeah, one yeah exactly mm-hmm. so i understand that you've written a book yes i have <laughs> What's that all about? I actually wrote this book back in high school. So we're trekking back a little bit in time here. I wrote it when I was 16 and had it published at 18 years old. But essentially, it is a true story of my father and aunt and their experiences during the Bosnian War. My father was 16 years old when the war broke out and my aunt was only 11 years old. And I based their story around the war letters that they wrote. So it, you know, it's like a true story and I have it scanned in the back of the book. And it's one of the first few books to ever have a dual religious perspective from the war, because most of the content that I would find about the Bosnian war, it would be either written by an quote unquote outside party. So it'd be very historical. Or if I'm looking at books that are written by people that lived through the war, it was only one perspective of the war. Yes. So I think it would also, it was also really fascinating that my family came from a multi-religious family and what their experience was like battling their own identity and dealing with the conflict themselves. Fascinating. So how did you go about researching it in the first place? What, what drove you to, to write it in the first place? This incorporates a lot of elements. So as you know, I've always had an interest for history, as we've talked about a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I would always ask my parents how they came to the United States, because I knew very briefly that, okay, we're Muslim Orthodox family. My parents are refugees from Bosnia. And that's essentially all I would know. They would not tell me anything else. And I I wanted to know more. So I keep asking them questions, but they would be a little bit dismissive to me about it. But it wasn't until Thanksgiving of 2018 when my aunt handed me this pink envelope. And at first I was really confused because this is right when we finished dinner and we're cleaning up and washing the dishes. So I'm sitting by the kitchen island and I'm looking at her and thinking, why is she handing me this pink torn up envelope? So I can tell it's not new and it's not any holiday that we celebrate. I guess it was Thanksgiving, but we never Mm. give each other gifts like that. We would just have a nice family dinner. So everyone just goes dead silent. And at this point, I figured the only thing I could do is open up the envelope. (laughs) So I open (laughs) it and these war letters fall out in front of me. And I'm looking through these, these torn letters. They're all folded. You can still see the creasing. There's some lipstick marks on it. Some pressed flowers are falling out the letters as I open them up. And it was just this beautiful scene of history just unfolding literally in front of my Mm. very eyes. And I decided to read a few letters of what I can make from it because they were children when they wrote it. So there's a lot of colored pencils that were involved. And so (laughs) over time, it fades at certain points. So I really tried my best to understand what was happening. And once I realized what I was holding in my hands, 
in that moment, I thought, oh my God, I should make a book out of this because how often is there a family that is a refugee family that has letters from the war itself? And I wanted to have more of a personal feel to my story. So that's why I base it around the war letters because it's, letters are very intimate piece of history, I would say, especially because they're writing it to their parents and loved ones. So that is essentially the inspiration behind writing the book. Wow. I'm impressed. (laughs) Thank you. I'm really, really impressed. Thank you so much. That is a legacy for future generations, which is what I'm looking at doing with my podcasts is to leave that type of legacy for future generations so they can look back at this period in, in history and see what people are doing now. Yes, exactly. For you to do that, I mean, that, that's awesome. And have you had it published? Yes, it is. it got published when I turned 18, so two years ago. And now it is has been the one-year and three-day anniversary of my Bosnian translation being published as well. <laughs> so you yes. translate, did you translate it yourself? I had the help of Azra Pargan, who is part of BMG Tuzla. That is the publishing agency that I'm affiliated with in Bosnia. She helped me translate the English uh, version into Bosnian, especially since my grammar is not to the extent of being able to talk politics. <laughs> like, yes, I can hold a conversation and order at a restaurant. But when it came into talking about heavy topics, I missed a little bit of the grammar and vocabulary for it. So she really helped me out with that. And I'm thankful that she helped me work on this project. Brilliant. And have you have you turned it into an audio book at all? Not yet. No, that is a future project that I'm currently working on, but hopefully sometime soon it will come out. <laughs> Mm. So where can people find the book? You can find the book at www.treeswithoutroots.com. It is my personal page, but it has the links to a lot of different sites, or even if you want to buy the Bosnian translation yourself. Don't feel bad to read that version of it personally. <laughs> well, no Maybe one people, but it's probably good. Yeah, but... Uh, the proceeds of my book, it does go to this organization that BMG Tuzla created, which is called Moya Perva Kniga, meaning my first book. And it helps publish other young authors' first books. So we hold a competition once a year. We had the last one in December 13th. That was the first festival of it. And we published the works of Anis Hodzic, uh, Bosansko Diete, meaning Bosnian child. And just to go into the story a little bit, because I think it is really important. He was 13 years old when he got hit and killed by a mortar in front of his house during the Bosnian War, but he was very much into the arts. He was a very talented musician and he even wrote poetry. So he wrote a lot of poems about the fear he felt and how the his parents and other adults were reacting to the war. And you can imagine the initial confusion that a child feels because they don't understand the politics, they just understand the fear around them. And that is why we had his work published because if his message was very parallel to what I was writing about in my story. And it was also a good way to commemorate his life. So we had this festival and we had a few other books published as well that uh, won the competition. And then we also had a documentary of his premiered. So hopefully again in December, if everything goes well, we will have another festival and 
then the proceeds of his book will help publish more books. So it's kind of a domino effect from that. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, I, I, I'm inspired. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah, I'm truly humbled. Um, what a story. What a story. Yes. Even if people don't write their stories to have them published, I think it is important for people just to write down their stories because that is a way we're able to learn from history and not only learn about ourselves, but also in a way connect with others in that sense. Absolutely. Ella, um, thank you so, so much for sharing that story. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share this with other people. No, no, it's it's been my pleasure. Really has. Thank you very much. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.